All right, how are we doing this morning? Good, good. Great to hear. All right, if you got your notes, bust them out with me. We are in part three of a series we're calling You Asked For It. Uh, a couple months back, we surveyed all of our church to find out what, what are things that you want us to preach on. And the number one question that you asked was how to deal with difficult people. So we dealt with that in week one. How many, that was a help. I hope it helped you. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go back and listen to that one. Last week, Pastor Bubba did how to get free. How do we break the cycle of, of sin, kind of this carousel that we're in all the time. And then this week, I'm actually going to talk about the second most requested question that we had on our survey, which is how to handle stress. Come on, how many got some stress in your life? How many of your stress is sitting next to you? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Some of you are so stressful, you're wondering how long this service is going to last because you've got things to do. Come on, anybody? Okay, good. All right. Well, no, not, not for anybody. All right. You know, there's a statistic that says that 80% of moms feel overloaded and stressed. I would not doubt that. And 70% of people feel like they are sleep deprived, that they live sleep deprived. And so today we're going to look at this idea of how to handle stress. And uh, before I start, let me just say something real quick. And that is today you're going to learn from my weakness. So you're not learning today from my strength. Um, You're going to learn today from my weakness. I have not done this well. And I've paid a lot of price for that. And, and so God's taught me a lot about this idea of stress and how to handle it, I think, the biblical way. But uh, I hope you are encouraged today with my failures. So if, if, you wanted to, if you wanted to come today and be encouraged by somebody else's failures, you came on a great Sunday. Because I'm going to tell you all the things not to do. And, uh, and hopefully it will encourage you. And I, I think for some of you, this is going to be a red flag message some of you are running at a pace that is just absolutely crazy, and I think today God is going to raise the red flag and wave it, and hopefully you'll see it. And I hope today, my prayer today is that today's message would change your life. Um, I pray that every week, but I think specifically for this one, because I think this has caused uh, so many people to do some things that they really regret. So <clears throat> let me share with you just real quick um, some things that cause stress. I think we need to find out where stress comes from first and then identify where it comes from. Then we can start beginning to tackle how do we actually handle stress? What do we do with it all? And so let's talk about where stress comes from. First off, there's a couple of things. I got a list on here. I was going to put it on your notes, but as I was putting them on your notes, I got stressed out. <laughs> and so I said, I ain't putting it on your notes. I'm too stressed. So here's some things that, and see if you can identify with any of these that bring stress in your life. Here's the first one. <clears throat> here's the first one. There we go. Don't stress me out. All right. Um, death of a loved one. I mean, you know, death of a loved one can definitely bring some, some stress in your life. Death of someone, uh, whether, it's, whether it, you've known about it for a long time or it's something that's, that's tragic. Marriage. Marriage can be another one. That can definitely bring stress when the marriage isn't in sync. Some stress that can happen. Number three is this. Deadlines. Come on, how many know deadlines bring some stress? Whether that's at work, you got deadlines at work, at school, term papers, whatever it is, deadlines, those can definitely bring some stress. The other one is job or a job loss. How many know most stress comes from the job? 
Most people that I counsel with that have extreme stress actually usually comes from a job or they lost their job. And there's a lot of stress that comes with either one of those in those regards. The next one is money problems. This was the number one thing that we prayed for the most when we did our 21 days of prayer. This one right here, money issues. We actually have 20 families right now going through our financial life group right now that are getting a lot of help in this area. And that by the way, that life group's going to continue to roll on throughout the year, um, and so I encourage you to jump in it back in January if you have an issue with this, but this can definitely bring some, some stress. Mo money, mo problems. That's P. Diddy. Okay, all right. Is that, is that, is that right? I don't know. I'm, I'm a little low on my culture here. Okay, next one. Uh, confrontations. Confrontations can bring. Come on, how I many you know there's nothing worse than being, either being confronted or having to confront somebody? Whew, some stress there. Next one, illness, sickness. That can definitely add some stress. Be praying for Joel. He woke up this morning. My wife was actually early to church, and she just called me while I was in my message at the 9 o'clock, like I'm going to pick up the phone in the middle of my message. Anyways, and uh, Joel wasn't feeling good, and I just got a text literally two minutes ago while the video was going on that he just threw up everywhere. So, stress, stress. Next one, Parenting. Come on, how many know parenting can bring? It's joyful, right? It's just got its joys, and it's got its stress as well. Hey, by the way, parenting and family, we'll deal with that one next week. So everybody, get ready. Next week, we're going to talk about, if you've if you got some kids that got some stress, just come next week. We'll talk about how to, how to spank them. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> joking, not joking. Okay, all right. Pace of life. Pace of life. Just running fast. Always got something on the calendar. Always busy. You know, just always. Okay, next one. Expectations of others. Most people don't realize, but many people live for the expectation and approval of others, and your life is so stressed because you can't say no to people. So everything that you get invited to or everything that you get asked to do, you feel like you got to say yes to everything because you don't want to let any people down, and you live stressed out because expectation of others. Next one. Divorce. I don't think that's... I think it's self-explanatory for the most part. A lot of stress that happens there. How many know family members can cause stress? In-laws and outlaws, all of them can cause stress. Next one, unresolved sin. I put this one on there because I think most people don't realize when you live a secret lifestyle of unresolved sin that you haven't allowed God to heal, it's, let's put it this way, it's very uncomfortable to sit on the fence. Very uncomfortable. And when we live with not getting healed in these areas, there's a lot of stress that comes because we don't want to deal with this issue. So there's a lot of healing. And let me just say this. The next one I think everybody in this room deals with, everybody in Louisiana deals with every single week, and that's actually the New Orleans Saints, I think. Come on, how many are with me on that one? The New Orleans Saints bring some stress. They stress me out. Thankfully this week, we got a victory. But most of the time, they're stressing me out. It just happens. I got three boys, and Lindsay a couple weeks ago said, hey, we're going to go shopping. The boys need new, new blue jeans. And so I said, okay, let's go. So I'm going to tell you, there ain't nothing more stressful than trying to find blue jeans for skinny, lanky boys. They fit in the waist. They're like this tall. They fit in the length. They're like this big. I mean, just come on. Give me some pants at work. I like to go in, get the jeans, let's go. We were there for like two hours. Okay, sorry, I just had to get that off my chest. I'm just, 
I had to get that there. I feel better now. I feel better. Hey, here's the bad news. Let me tell you the bad news about that list. Let me get the bad news out first. The bad news is this. I can't fix most of this. That's the bad news. The bad news is I can't make most of that stop. I can't. Now, I know you want me to, but that, this, that list is called life. It's called life. Jobs will come and go. Money will come and go. There will be relational tensions. There's going to be stress in parenting. I mean, all of that. I would love to say that I can deal with all of that for you and you won't ever have an issue with any of those. And most of you would like for me to either fix all of that or help you to cope with all of that, but I'm going to do neither one. Because I think what ends up happening, most of us feel like we believe that God obligates himself to fix all that, but that's not true. Do you know that God never obligated himself to fix any of that? He never obligated himself to fix any of those. What he obligated himself to was to fix you so that you could go through those. That's what he obligated himself to. He obligated himself to you that in the middle of stress, that he can give you enormous amounts of joy and peace in the midst of stress. Let, let, me, let me put it this way. God isn't at work producing the circumstances you want. God is at work in the circumstances producing the you he wants. That was a good place to say amen. God is not in, he's not trying to produce the circumstances you want. And I know you want him to change your circumstances. But he is way more concerned with producing the you he wants in the circumstances than changing the circumstances because the circumstances are revealing who you are in a good way or a bad way, and that's a good thing because then you become more like Jesus through it all. Yeah, amen. amen? So today, thank you, thank you for the one clap. So today, I mean, if one's going to do it, just everybody, don't leave them alone. I mean, that's just like, okay, all right, no, stop. Now, no, see, now it's pity. Okay, you either all, you just all are, okay, so I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to help you out here. So let's, let's talk, let's talk about what do we do with all this stress? What do we do with it? Let's pray, let's pray first. Father, we love you and we thank you, God, for today. And God, my prayer today is, is that you would lift some burdens off people. And God, that you would change people from the inside out. God, that every person that walked in here, no matter what stress they're, they're going through, that you would produce in them a joy and peace that only comes from you. We ask all that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. So what do we do with all this stress? Now, let me give you some principles first, and then I'm going to give you some practices. I'm going to make this sermon really practical on the latter half. But this first half, I need to give you the principles, because if you don't buy into the principles first, you can't do the practices. So let's, let's fill in some notes. You got some notes? Let's fill it in. We are a note-taking church, so let's fill in some notes. It is better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. If you want to do more of what matters, then you have to believe that it's better to have less. But as Americans, this seems crazy, right? Because we subscribe to the fact that we believe that more is better. More is better. One dollar's good. Two is better, right? One donut is good, but two is better, right? Yes, exactly. You know, one cinnamon roll at Java Jolts is good. Two is better. It's just better, okay? One kid is good. See, nobody even said it. Look, uh, <laughs> nobody even took it. 
Attitude, not better. One wife is good. So don't go there. Okay, all right, all right. Let's stop. That's, two wives is wrong. That's what that is. Two wives is wrong. Which reminds me, there was a seminary student who asked his professor, he said, he said, professor, why did Solomon have so many wives? And the, the, <laughs> the professor looked at him and said, because he was just hoping that when he got home, at least one was in a good mood. <laughs> just one. That's funny. I don't care what you say. That's hilarious. We love all the wives in here, okay? We only need one of you, by the way, all right? We don't need many. We don't believe in that, by the way. Let me just let that out there, too. Here's some statistics that we truly believe more is better. We really do. We don't subscribe to that less is better. We think more is better. Let me show you. We're going to eat out 14,141 times in our lifetime, at least. 1,800 of those will be to McDonald's. Delicious. We're going to spend 13 years and 14 months watching TV, most of us. This is an average. Five years, listen to this, five years waiting in line. We're going to drive 627,000 miles. That's 25 times around the world. 625,000 times. So what we see in these statistics is not that we don't have time. We have plenty of time. It's just going to the wrong places. Not that any of those are bad in and of themselves, but we have time. It's just oftentimes we're subscribing to the fact that we need more and not less. But let me show you a scripture. Ecclesiastes 4, 6. Look what it says. It is better to have only a little with a peace of mind than to be busy all the time. All the time. Here's the point of, I think, one of, one of the main points of my sermon today is I think many of us are doing too much. I think we're doing too much. We've got to do the diligence in our lives to make sure that we are not trying to do more, but we're trying to do less in certain areas. It's better to, here's the second thing, it's better to get the right things done, not more things done. It's better to get the right things done, not more things done. You know, we ask each other all the time, hey, how you doing? And usually the, the typical response is, oh, it's good. It's all fine. And then usually the next response is, you know, it's just been busy, right? It's just been busy. I've just been busy. As if busyness is like a badge of honor. Like, you, you never go and ask somebody, hey, man, how's it doing? Oh, it's good. Man, I've just been lazy, just been lazy. I haven't done nothing. Like, you don't hear that, right? It's usually the opposite. Like, oh, I've been so busy. As if sometimes, just because we're doing a lot of things, like, life is good, but you can be busy doing all the wrong things. And so, we've got to subscribe to this principle that it's better to get the right things done, not more things done. And we need to stop measuring our lives by how much we do and start measuring our lives by doing the right things. We want to make sure that we're doing the right things. Not that we're just doing things, but we're doing the right things. Let me show you a scripture. Proverbs 17, 24. An intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. What is this verse saying? We need to live intentionally. We need to know where we're going, what we're doing. We don't need to be all over the map in many directions, we need to be focused on what God's called us to do and make sure that we're doing that. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We all know this. 
You, I haven't just shared anything with you that you don't know. You know less is better. You know that you should be doing the right things and not more things. You know that. We all know that. So the issue is not that we don't know this stuff. We know this stuff. We are far educated above our level of obedience. Here's, here's a quote, that I, and I put it in your notes, and I want you to write this down. And I want you to think about this as we're processing through the rest of this message together. Because I don't think our problem is not that we don't know. Let me give you the quote. The distance between the truth I know and the truth I live equals the pain I experience. The distance between the truth that I know, I know I need to live this way, I know I need to do these things, I know I need to do this, between the actual thing that I live, I actually live out this stuff, whatever that gap is, is the pain you and I experience. And so if there's things in your marriage that you know you should be doing but you're not doing, well, I can guarantee you there's a lot of pain in your marriage because of that. And here's my goal today. My goal today is to close the gap. My goal today is to close what you know to how you know and how you live it and make those two like this. So when I know what I'm supposed to do, I actually do it. That's the goal today. And the more we can go, God, this is what you're calling me to do, and actually obey what he's calling us to do, I promise you there will be less pain in our life. Pain comes when we're not doing the things that God's calling us to do. So let me share with you a, a, uh, a thing of what I feel like God is calling us to do when it comes to stress and dealing with stress. The Bible actually, God gave us one major principle and practice to live by that I think that we have so strongly ignored and it's why our culture is so stressed. And here it is. Keep the Sabbath day holy. It's actually the fourth commandment in the top 10 commandments. God was so big on this that he actually made it a command. Right up there with don't kill somebody and don't be sleeping with anybody else's wife. Oh, by the way, and you need to rest. You need to keep this day holy. And we have oftentimes ignored this command. We feel like it's optional, which I guess in some ways it is to a degree because we don't live under the commands of the Ten Commandments as much anymore because when Jesus came, he gave us a new way of living. He gave us a new lifestyle. He went above, actually above and beyond the Ten Commandments. But I believe that this one principle here could radically change you and my life in a phenomenal way. See, it says keep the Sabbath day. Now, if you don't know what the Sabbath day is, in Jewish culture, they would work six days and rest the seventh. Actually, to the point that if you actually did any work on that Saturday, Sabbath for them was a Saturday. If you did any work on Saturday, you actually got put to prison. That's how that's how strict they were actually on this commandment. If you did, that's why when Jesus shows up on the scene and he does a miracle on the Sabbath, they get so mad. But Jesus says, you're so concerned about the Sabbath that this guy just had an arm grow back. Like what in the world? Because they were taking the Sabbath and making it something so much bigger than it was. See, the Sabbath was not, man wasn't created for the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for the man. So we're not ruled by the Sabbath but we let the Sabbath be something that helps us. 
And so it says, we need to keep the Sabbath day holy. That there needs to be, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna subscribe to you, there needs to be a day that you have that is holy. For many of you, it may be today. It may be a Sunday. This may be your holy day. Where you come, you come before the Lord, and you acknowledge to God, God, I can't do this without you. And that's what Sabbath was. A Sabbath was telling God, I can't do this without you. See, and this is what happens. When we don't take a Sabbath, when we just work, 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 this is what we tell God. We're telling God, I can do this without you. That's what we're telling him. So a Sabbath is, a, is, a, is not only a command for us, because God, when God created the earth, what did he do? He created it in six days, and on the seventh day, he what? He rested. Did he do that because he had to? No, he did it because he wanted to. And because he was modeling to you and I how we're called to live. How we're called to live. Now, the practical side of this and how this fleshes out in, in your and my life is going to look very different. Sundays for me are not Sabbath. This is a work day for me. I work all, all day today. I go home and I'm exhausted. Mondays are my Sabbath. They're actually my legitimate day off. Um, the day I actually turn off my phone and try to spend time with my family and, and things of that nature. So for you, it may look different. It may not be a Sunday. It may be a different day. It may be different. I'm just saying, I'm telling you right now, you need to learn how to put this into practice. Look at Hebrews 4, 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God for anyone who enters God's rest also rest from their what? From their works. Just as what? Just as God did. From his, now watch this, let us. So anytime you see let us, you need to kind of perk your ears up because here's, here's what he's about to say. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter into that rest. Enter into that rest. So here's my goal. I love practical Christianity. I think Christianity should be absolutely practical. I think anytime you leave church confused, you went to the wrong church. You should always leave with something that you can do. I love sermons that work on Mondays. That's the only kind that I like. If it can't work on Monday, I don't want to give it. So I spent a lot of time this week to try to make this as practical as possible for those in here that are extremely stressed. I'm going to give you some practices here that if, I believe if you would put these into play, it would reduce your stre stress drastically. And not to say that your stress of all that stuff would go away, but you would be able to face it in a whole new way. Are you ready? Two of you are. Okay, are you ready? Okay. Please appease me here, okay? Here's, here's, here's some confessions, four confessions that we will do. If you want rest, here's what you need to do. Number one, I will rest my body. Sabbath is an opportunity for us to, to rest our physical body. Now, listen, there's so many things out there nowadays that you can keep your body amped up. Five-hour energy drink, go for it. You can throw down a couple of those. You can throw down some Red Bulls. You can throw down all the adrenaline juices and, and drinks that they got, seven cups of coffee, whatever you can. You can do all of that. You can do all of that to keep your body going at a very, very fast rate. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't take a break, listen to me. If you don't take a break, you will break. Everybody hear me on that? If you don't take a break, you will break. 
Maybe not in a week, maybe not in a month, maybe not in a year, but you will eventually break down. I cannot tell you how many people I have talked to, especially people that are in the ministry, that ran so hard for so long that they literally had heart attacks. My grandfather died, listen to this, grandfather at 56 years old died of a massive heart attack in a bank bathroom in Houston, Texas because he could not stop working. Died immediately. And so I'm not joking when I say all this stuff because this is real deal. I've had my own family die from overworking. And I have myself done this. I am a workaholic. I will confess that here. I love to work. I actually enjoy what I do. I enjoy this. But I've learned that if I don't stop this to rest my body, this won't last long. I've noticed in my own life when I work and work and work and work, I am more susceptible to sickness than ever before. Only times I've ever gotten sick, and I, re- I really do, by God's grace, I rarely ever get sick, but the only times I've ever gotten sick was when I worked too much. It, it just, it never fails. When I start getting sick, I know that's a warning sign that I've probably been doing too much. It always is. And so here's, here's a practical thing. I would, I would actually encourage some of you to cancel your plans today and go home and take a nap. Come on, how many of you, I got, I got a witness. <laughs> Amen, y'all canceling now. We will not be there. My pastor said I'm taking a nap, says the Lord. And then you get up from your nap, and you go and you grab your wife's hand, and you say, we're going for a walk. And then after she falls on the floor, you pick her back up, <laughs> and you go down the street, and you just take a leisurely no phone stroll with your bride. And you just talk. And if you don't have a bride, then you can go down the street and pray for a bride, whatever, however that works. <laughs> and then you come home and you order pizza so your wife don't have to cook. And I got one wife that said good, okay. And you just take the day off. And everybody relaxes, and everybody low-key, and everybody rests up. We need to do this more. Look at me, as your pastor, how are you doing? How's your body? Are you healthy? Let me ask you this. Are you sleeping enough? Like, I'm serious. God made this a command. He's so serious about this. This is a command. Listen, this life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you've got to take care of yourself for the marathon. I don't know about y'all. I want to last the long haul. I want to make it to the end. I don't want to be like my grandfather. And I'll tell you, there's times where I could feel my chest bumping out and that, that fear comes on me because I know what happened to him and I don't want that to happen to me. Look at this, Psalms Psalms 127, look at this promise. I, in vain, in vain you rise early and you stay up late. In vain. You're burning the candle on both ends, constantly going, constantly running. Look at it, toiling for food to eat. But look at this. For he grants sleep 
Come on, some of you need to underline that. He grants sleep to those he loves. God wants to give some of you sleep. I've actually done some research over the past couple of months on how to get better sleep. Detaching from, from I'm, I'll just give you some practical things. Not, seeing, not watching a screen an hour before you go to bed because you're, you're all jacked up, wired up. And so for some of you that maybe, you have a hard time going to sleep. And some of you maybe have to rely on pills to get you to sleep. And I'm not knocking that in any way because there may be seasons where you need to do that. But that, I can tell you, that's not God's desire. There's, there's practical things that you can do to help you sleep. And I've learned this. My day doesn't start when the alarm goes off in the morning. My day starts when I go to bed. See, most of us think our day starts when the alarm kicks off. But the truth is, you start your day when you decide to go to bed. Because based on how you went to bed will usually dictate what your day starts like. Right? So God has been convicting me personally of going to bed too late. Because when I go to bed too late, then I want to sleep late. And then when I sleep late, like everything the rest of the day gets affected because I stayed up too late. Y'all with me here? And we have young kids. So I've had to, this is practical. I'm just trying to help you. If you've got small kids, I've had to learn. We're trying to get our beds, kids to bed earlier because we need chill out time with mom and dad. And so we're not getting them to bed till later. So we're chilling out like till 12 because that's our only time. So it's just like domino effects. And so I'm like, man, I got to get my kids to bed earlier so they can get up earlier so I can get up earlier. So we... That's just, that's what God's doing in me. But we've got to take care of our body. Got to take care of our body. Number, number two, I will replenish my soul. So I'll rest my body. This is what we do on Sabbaths. I rest my body and I'll replenish my soul. Job 9.25, my days go by faster than a runner. They fly away without seeing any joy. So here's the question we've got to ask. How are your emotions? How are your emotions are you mad all the time? Are you, are you antsy? Are you filled with worry and fear all the time? Like, how's your emotions doing? How's your, your mind? What are you thinking about and your emotions? How are you feeling? Because I'll tell you what, if you are stressed out and tired, your emotions are not good. They're not. I noticed the number one time I am most irritable with my boys. You want to know when it is? At night, when I'm tired. You know, I, I shared that a couple weeks ago. When Lindsay is hungry or tired or whatever, she gets hangry. It's hunger, anger. It's hangry. So I got to realize you got you to take care of that. And I realize I get the same way. I get tangry. <laughs> I'm tired, angry. I'm so tired. I'm like, just go to bed. <laughs> but I know that my emotions. And so, hey, look, look, that's a red flag. If you're, if you're, if your emotions are running bad like that, it's a red flag. Something's going on. Something's going on. I need to replenish my soul. So how do we replenish our soul? Here's a couple things. One, with quietness. You replenish your soul with quietness. Look at this verse, Psalms 23, 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside, what's that word? Quiet waters. And notice what he does. He restores my soul. So yet again, I've noticed if I, I gotta quiet myself, I've gotta get away from my cell phone, I've gotta get away from my computer, I've gotta get away, and those are hard for me because I'll tell you what, quiet for me is weird. Like I like noise. I get in the car, what do I do? 
Turn on my radio. Like, I just like noise. I like stuff because I find out when I'm quiet, I think too much. Sometimes I don't want to think. That's why we get in front of TV and let the TV just kind of numb us because we don't have to think. We don't have to go there. But quietness is a place where God gets to speak because the Bible says that God speaks at a whisper. So he doesn't yell over all of our stuff. He's waiting to lead us. Look, and he leads us. Notice where he leads us. He doesn't lead us to a fast, bumbling, you know, rumbling river. He leads us by quiet waters so we can restore our soul. So I'll tell you how this works in my house. Lindsay's at home. My wife homeschools all of our boys, so pray for her. Um, it's crazy in our house. Crazy. So when I get home over the past couple of weeks, this is what she's been wanting to do. And she says, just can I go outside? I said, sure. And like, I'll look in the kitchen, and she's like just sitting on the driveway. Like, legs crossed, sitting on the driveway. Just sitting. I'm like, what is she doing? Like, she's, not, she's just like looking around and just sitting. And 20, 30 minutes go by, and she walks in, and she's all good. I'm like, what did you do? She's like, nothing. <laughs> I did nothing. She must feel pretty good, I guess. She, you know what? Because she just needed her soul to be restored with quietness. Because in our house, there ain't nothing, no quiet, nowhere. So she needs to need to get away. So I'm learning as a husband, I got to give her some time to get away. Just, and you know what? She's a totally different woman for sitting outside for 30 minutes, quiet. So I'm like, I want that woman. So you can go have as much quiet as you want. <laughs> quietness, quietness. Number two, the second thing is with enjoyment, with enjoyment. Hey, you need to find out what do you love doing? Riding four-wheelers, being outside, doing stuff with the kids. What do you love doing? Being with animals, being with kids, being, whatever it is that you love doing, you need to do these kind of things on your Sabbath. Yes, you need to rest, but you need to do things that you absolutely enjoy. So for me, on my Sabbath, on my Mondays, I usually, Monday or Tuesday through Sunday, I'm always with people, and I'm usually always thinking. I'm always like using my brain. So on Mondays, guess what I do? I shut my brain off, and I work with my hands. I love cutting my grass on Mondays. I love being outside, because I don't have to counsel anybody on a lawnmower. It's really nice. I cut trees this past weekend. Like, my body hurt, but it felt good. It felt good just to be outside and do something. Because all the week, I'm doing stuff with my mind. It's great to go do stuff with my hands. Now, some of you, you may work all week with your hands, and you might want to come in and do something. You want, might just want to be inside because you're outside all day. I don't know what it looks like for you, but you need to find something that you absolutely enjoy doing and do things that you enjoy. I think you should laugh a lot. I think laughter should be a great thing. That's why I always try to put something in our sermons that are fun. I think we should be laughing in church a lot. Because I think, come on, anything that you do that you can't have fun doing is not worth doing. Amen? Amen? Who wants to go to a church where everybody's like... <laughs> like... I think Jesus was like snapping towels at the disciples. I think he was cutting jokes all the time. Kids love being around Jesus. Why? Because he was a character. So I think we should have fun. I think we should laugh. It's actually biblical. Let me show you. Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart. A cheerful heart is good medicine. It's good medicine. But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. When's the last time you just spent the day laughing, having fun? Is fun in your house. Your house should be fun. It should be a blast. 
Not, that, where stress is, it's crushed spirit, dried up bones. So quietness, enjoyment. Last one, people. Replenish your soul with people. Now, some of you may say, no, 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 no. Those are the ones that cause stress. I don't, I don't want people. Those are the stressful ones. I'm trying to get those people out. Well, here's my thing. You're just with the wrong people. You're with the wrong ones. You need to get around some life-giving, fun, laugh, laughing people that you love being around with. And people matter. People are a big deal. I can tell you why, how people are a big deal in your life. People are really important. Because, listen, none of you in here could name my last five sermons, even though they were awesome. <laughs> but you could name me five people that have radically impacted your life. Like that. Because people matter. People matter. They're big deal. I love Sundays. I love what happens here on Sundays. Absolutely love it. Love getting with God's people. Love worshiping together. I love that. But you know what I love more? I love Friday mornings more when I get to get around a table with about 15 of our church guys and just share life together. I love that more. I love having people over at my house and just eating. Come on. How many know food is enjoyment? I love food. Hey, did you know this? This is, this, man, this might be a revelation for you. The word stressed, if you were to do it backwards, it's desserts. <laughs> Look at it. Spell it out. As if God knew when I'm stressed, I need a dessert. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that, okay, but that's all y'all have heard. Pastor Josh said, go take a nap and eat desserts. That's, that's what we're going to do. But I think we should have food. I think we should have fun. I think we should do things that are, and do it with people that we absolutely love the most. Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone. Look what happens when you're alone. When you're isolated, you're attacked, you're defeated. Don't be alone. Two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You need people, people that will replenish your soul. Number three, I will reflect on what matters. You need to stop and evaluate where you are in life. I shared this with our guys this past Friday at our Bible study because I believe most, most of us, what we're doing is doable, it's just not sustainable. We just can't do it for the long haul. And we've gotta, we've gotta have times in our lives where we stop and evaluate where we're going. I think we're so busy rowing the, rowing the boat that we fail to look up and see where we're rowing. Because we're just so busy with schedule and all the stuff that's going on, we don't actually look up and evaluate how things are going in our lives. I think one of the best places, or one of the, it's, it's, it's actually a tragedy that causes us to do this, but I think one of the best places that you evaluate what's going on in your life is at funerals. Right? The number one place that gives you greatest perspective is a funeral. Because you immediately start going what matters in my life and what really doesn't? What matters, what doesn't? Tragedy in your life. Tragedy hits in your family or a close friend or something happens. You immediately start evaluating your life. And I'm gonna tell you, one of the things that we need to do on our Sabbath, you don't have to do this every week, but you should do this pretty often where you evaluate what's going on in my life. In our, and so I, I, just read, I just read a book called Leading on Empty. It's a great book. 
about how to replenish yourself, and he gave uh, this illustration of dashboards, and he said, you know, when you go and you look at a plane that's flying in the cockpit, this pilot has all these dashboards, you know, altim- uh, the altimeter and, and, uh, and the gas and the throttle, and I mean, so many buttons, you just look at them, so many buttons, and all those buttons and all those dashes and all those dials and all those gauges have a purpose. They're all attached to different parts of the plane to show you when things are functioning right, when they're not functioning, when they're not functioning right. And they'll give you red lights when things aren't going good and green lights when things are going well. Well, we all need dashboards in our lives that tell us when things are going good and things are going bad. So I put together a list for you, and I wrote it down on a screen. I didn't put it in your notes, but I gave you some space in your notes to write these down if you want to write these down and do some reflection on what matters. Let's throw that up on the screen for me. So here are the things in our own lives that we need to be very cautious of Faith. How's your faith? Now, here's what he said to do. This is what I've been doing. Grade yourself from an A to an F in each one of these areas, and then write down one to two sentences on how God's calling you to get better in these areas. How does God want to help you get better in these areas? Faith. How's your relationship with God? How's that going? Your marriage. How's your marriage going? Are you living in two separate worlds? Are you doing your own things? Are you close? Are you connected? How's that? Is there stress that's going on in there? Family. How's your family life? How are your kids doing? Is there a certain kid that needs more attention of your time than another? Is there, is there division in your family with your kids? Is there something, a core value you need to help your family with? Work. How's work going? What, what's going on at work that you need to get better at? Is there things that are, that are happening that you need to know? Relationships. How's your relationships? Is there any strained relationships that you need to get forgiveness, get reconciled, work through? Attitude. Hey, how's your attitude lately? How's my attitude been? Finances. How's your money? How's your money doing? Are you spending wisely? Are, are, are you staying on budget? Are we saving for something? What, what's going on in the, in the money realm? Health. How's my health? How am I doing? Am I getting enough sleep? How do I feel? How have I, how have I felt lately? I would encourage you to do this at least once a month, every two months. I would encourage you to do it at the end of the month, actually, because you can repeat. You can see what all happened during that month and then set some goals for the next month. And I'll tell you this, the only way that you're honestly going to grow is when you get honest. And one of the ways that you're going to get honest is if you don't feel like you can be honest, just hand that list over to your wife and she'll be very honest for you. Hey, grade me. But she'll be honest. And hopefully through that honesty, you'll be able to see growth. Where you need to work on. What are the areas of your heart and your life that you need to do? I I, I did... I haven't shared this publicly uh, except this morning. I shared it for the first time and I'm gonna share it with you because I've had hundreds and hundreds of people that have asked us. This year, we did not do Color for a Cure. We didn't do our race. And a lot of people asked us why we didn't do our race. And I gave most people some kind of little pat answers like our team was you know, doing a lot of things and we didn't have it. But, and that was true. But there was a very much deeper thing on why we didn't do our race this year and, uh, and I feel like now's the time to share that with you. So for many of you that may or may not know, we put on this race and had thousands of people. We've raised over $200,000 in two years for this. It's amazing. But most people don't know behind the scenes what it takes to put this race on. It's five to six months worth of work. We have many, many people that, that, that help make this thing happen. It's not definitely not just me. But I lead the charge. And so 
for last year, uh, I, I, I spent all summer, so I'd spend, you know, 40, 50 hours of work here at the church, and then I would go home and put another 40 or 50 hours in during the week putting this race on, because I wasn't doing it during time here. So you know what that meant? That meant a lot of late nights. That meant four or five months of just late nights, late nights, late nights. So the week of the race, the, the race was on a Saturday, I think maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm at my house working on something that's happening that's gone wrong at my house, and Pastor Bubba calls me. The thing I love about Pastor Bubba is he loves me enough to tell me the things I need to hear and not the things I want to hear, which shows the true sign of someone who really loves you, by the way. And he calls me up and he says, Josh, where you at? I said, I'm at home. He said, I'm going to be there in a minute. Anytime he says that, it's like, uh-oh, what's going on? <laughs> so he shows up and he says, hey, and, and actually Pastor Zach was with him too. And uh, he says, hey, can we talk with you? I said, sure. So we went off and my little sunroom area, and I'm sitting down, and they, he looks at me, and he says, how you doing? And I just started crying. I said, man, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. My family has suffered, and I'm not feeling good, and I mean, I just felt like that was the place to lay it all out. And he said, yeah, we've noticed We've noticed. You've been really short with people. We've noticed some of the stuff at the church has, has gone down. And uh, he said, oh, we're really, really, really concerned about you. And, uh, and so we sat there for about an hour, and he just began to pour out his heart to me about where I am. And I poured out my heart where I am and cried on his shoulder. And he said, you're going to get through this week, and we're going to help you get through this week, and we'll get this race, and it'll be a success, and it'll be awesome, and everybody will love it, and everybody will love you. But next year, you will not do this. And I said, well, you know, they count on us now. I mean, we've done it two years, and we've got to do it on the third year. And, you know, the PH Association, they count on us to bring all this money in. And he says, no, listen to me. You're not doing it next year. And when he said that, like it was like a weight just lifted off my shoulder. Like, I don't have to perform for people. Because I felt like if I didn't, I would let so many people down. And I felt like I would let people down, let the city down. And Pastor Bob looked at me and said, and at this point last year, Joel was doing not so good. And he looked at me and he said, Josh, Let's say you do it again next year and you put all the work in and your son dies next year. What do you think the number one thing you're going to regret? Is all the time I just put in to make this thing happen and didn't spend it with my son. And he was right. He was right. And however much I'm disappointed that we didn't do it this year, my wife is very happy. And so are my kids, because they got to be with their dad all summer this summer. And you got a pastor <laughs> that's not stressed out and burned out. And it may come back, but if it comes back, it'll come back in a totally different way, in a place that will be of health. But I just want you to know, I had to go through a season of evaluating what mattered most. 
and raising money for other kids did not matter as much as spending time with my son. Y'all with me here? And some of you need to hear this with your work. You can work and make more money. But when I meet with people on their deathbed, I never, I've never had a man tell me, I just wish I would have made more money. You know what they say? I wish I would have been there at my kids' soccer games that I missed. I wish I would have been there for this. I wish I would have, I wish I would have done less and been more at home. I wish I would, those are, the, and listen, I know some of you, there's no condemnation here. If you've got to work crazy hours, there's seasons and for that, and I understand that. But you better make sure you evaluate what matters most. And that needs to be held higher than anything else. So I'm telling you as your pastor, you need to lovingly press pause and evaluate these areas. And if they're not healthy, get healthy. And that leads me to my last point. Is I will return to Jesus. I will return to Jesus. I want you to do this all across this room. Just kind of put your pins down. I want you to close your eyes, and I want to read this verse over you. And I want you to listen to this verse, whether you've heard it a hundred times or not. I want to read this verse to you, and I want you to soak in what Jesus is saying to you and I. Come on, just so all across this room, we just close our eyes. I want to say this to you. Jesus says to you, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now everybody lift up your head. This is an invitation of love. This is an invitation of love. Let me tell you what he's inviting you to. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, my yoke is light. So this is a farming analogy. If you know anything about farming, when an ox was going, now we're we're all mechanical. We don't use animals as much. But when an ox was going to plow a field, if the ox didn't have enough strength to plow that field, they would yoke the ox up. They put a yoke over the ox's neck and put another strong ox next to it and yoke them two together and they would pull this thing together. Now this is what Jesus is saying in this verse. When you come to me, when you come to me, I'm not gonna take all your stress away. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna yoke myself up with you and we're gonna carry this thing together. So notice, what we want him to do is to take it off. For him just to carry it. And we get to, no. So it's not that he carries it, and it's not that you carry it. It's we carry it. And Jesus carries the burden with you. So if you're going through illness or marriage or divorce or money financial problems or job loss or any of the stresses that we listed in the beginning of all of this, Jesus wants you to come to him because he wants to walk with you through it. And he will give you the strength and he will give you the grace, and he will give you peace and joy that doesn't come from your circumstances but only comes from him. 
if only we would return to Jesus. And that's my prayer today. And so I want to share, I want to, I want to do this this morning. If you walked in here with stress, anxiety, worries, just burdens on you, and you don't want to walk out with those, you want to be changed, would you stand all over this room? If that's just you, just stand all over this room. You want God to help? You're going to return to Jesus. Come on, just all across this room. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. And just right there, just, if you just put your hands out just like this, we're going to just receive what God has to say today. God, just right now we come to you, and you're a good father. And you're leading us beside still waters. God, you want to restore our souls. So, Father, I pray right now for every person that's in this room that walked into this room with souls that are not restored, that are not rested, but God burdened and stressed, whether it's because of, of something going on in their family or, God, you know what's going on, but God, you desire more than anything to give them peace and joy and hope and rest. I pray they would, wouldn't leave this place carrying what they came in with. Right there where you are, just right there underneath your own breath, I just want you to tell the Lord, what has been that stress? What is it that you're carrying? Come on, we, we, we're going to tell the Lord. We're going to confess that to him. God, this is just what it is. And just right there where you are, just tell him. Tell him what that is. So, Father, you're hearing all these right now. You're hearing all these right now. God, I pray, Lord, more than anything that you would heal God, I pray that you would give wisdom right now to each person as they maybe have to make some hard decisions, maybe have to go back and reevaluate areas of their life. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you would give them strength. Every person that's in here that's physically weak, emotionally weak, spiritually weak, strengthen their bodies, strengthen their souls right now. God, those who have walked in here with worry and fear, peace of God, would you flood your people this morning. Guard their hearts and guard their minds. Jesus, we do these three words. We come to you today and ask that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You can be seated right where you are. I want to do this one last thing because I believe that one of the greatest ways we can deal with stress is definitely coming to Jesus. And we come to Jesus not only just to deal with our stress, we come to Jesus for him to be the Lord of our life. And there's some of you in here, one of the stresses that you have is you've been ruling your own life. You've been doing it your way, your will. It's been you. So much of the stress that you're dealing with right now is because you've put it on yourself. And Jesus today is offering an, another extension to you to come to him to find life because life is only found in Jesus. So I want us just to do this this morning because I believe salvation is not just a one-time decision that we make. I believe it's a daily decision we make to re-surrender our hearts over to the Lord every single day. So I want us to do this just all across this room. I want you to say this to me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive what you did for me. 
Today, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Be my Lord. I need your presence. I need your power to be the person that you want me to be. Come live in me. Change me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name.